0: Chapter 4 of Outlaws of Ravenhurst by Sister Emma of Wallace, S.L. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When Men Play Marbles, the good ship Anne of Glasgow sped, all sails drawing aloft and allow. The wind whistled jig tunes in the cordage and set the tackle blocks clapping in mimic applause. This was a good sound to the ears of Brownhead for it sang to him of the maryland woods he stood by the stern rail looking back at the ripples of the wake into the zigzag world of wave tips and on to the west where the grey disk of the ocean met the grim vault of the sky he felt dumbly conscious of his own exceeding smallness in the world of waters and decidedly smaller in the strange coming world of men of which sir roger preached endlessly during such sermons the boy listened as little as possible and, the moment they were over, set himself to forget. Yet one thing was bitterly clear. Brownhead was no longer George of the gay Maryland Woods, but my lord of Gordon. He built a silken knee against the rail and growled. Ho, your lordship, the face you wear is hold storm enough to sink the Anne of Glasgow. Gordon turned, half pleased at the interruption, for he knew the voice. It was the man whom Sir Roger called Godfrey. Brownhead almost liked him. At least he was a pleasant fellow with whom to waste an hour. "'What has raised the present glum wind?' Godfrey ran on. "'Sir Roger,' fumed Gordon. "'I'd rather swallow bear's grease than hear him. He's had me in the cabin talking high and mighty, making me walk on my toes like a top-silly girl to husking bee.' "'ordering me every once in half a crack "'to flop my head on my shins "'and getting as mad as a slap wasp "'if I fall sprawling instead of "'making a court bow correctly. "'But your lordship is learning "'with astonishing rapidity to "'act like a -a jack-a-dandy "'for the pleasure of an uncle "'who does so dearly love me. "'Bah!' "'Gordon thrust his hand into his belt-wallet "'and drew out his only treasures, 4 agate pebbles.' "'roughly rounded by many hammerings, a pioneer boy's marbles. "'Squatting on the deck, he placed three "'and began to shoot at them with a fourth. "'Loves me,' he growled. "'So do wood ticks. "'Wants me for something. "'Crooked. Mean-like.' "'Gordon shot a marble with a vicious snap. "'So,' whistled Godfrey, fixing his keen eyes on the boy's face, Poor ten-year lad, you are rather more than something shrewd, my young laird O'Gordon. You don't like being the marble when Sir Roger is the shooter and it's his game. The lad gathered his marbles with the sweep of his hands and jumped to his feet. Why should I? He demanded. Godfrey chuckled. Listen, today you are the heir, the marble. Tomorrow you are the earl, and Sir Roger is the marble. Wait for your turn it was the boy's turn to whistle. Godfrey looked out over the sea a moment, then spoke again. "'Your lordship, you have not yet awakened to the fact that you are Earl of Ravenhurst, though as yet a trifle too young to take charge of affairs. An Earl, a little king in your own domain. But let me show you a picture of what it means to be chief at Old Rock Raven.' "'Now there was fire the Braze. He is not the first chief of your house.' But the first to write his name in history. There's been a chieftain's stronghold on Rock Raven since oh, since first God made the Scot, and the devil set Scots a fighting. A bit to the south of Benander Mountain, a headland of black and jagged rock, is thrust a good ten bowshots into the Frith. The sea beats itself to a fury roaring about its wreck strewn base. This rock, from its shape, or from the ill omened birds which nested there or because of the fierce marauders who made of it a stronghold, has been called since the beginning Rock Raven. Now Fire of the Braves was a bold and bloody man. He carried a long two-handed claymore, the like of which no other man ever bore. From his wild and lonely tower on Rock Raven, he sallied out for daring raids, driving home cattle, plundering, burning villages, and harvest-fields. It was for this he was dubbed Fire of the Braves, a name of terror from the Isles to the English border. "'An out-and-out out villain and robber!' cried the boy. "'Softly, softly!' teased Godfrey. "'If any knight had gained fire the braze a common robber, swords had not slept in scabbards. The chief was but a bold blade in the rough game of war. Boys throw down marbles and play grabs. Men play grabs, also. But—' Your lordship has a keen sense of honor fire of the braes lived centuries ago when even kings were crude in fact your house rose from a petty chieftain's stronghold to a knight's castle by a rough jest this fire of the braes once sprang out from the bracken and single-handed fought with a mighty antlered buck and slew him with his claymore under the very eyes of the king who'd sworn to hang him but instead being pleased by the wild highlander's jest THE KING MADE FIRE THE BRACE, HIS FRIEND, AN ARMORED KNIGHT, AND WARDEN TO KEEP OTHER MEN IN ORDER. YET, IF YOUR LORDSHIP WISHES TO HEAR ABOUT A KNIGHT OF HONOR, AS unsullied AS THE HEAVEN-BORN SNOW, LET ME TELL YOU OF LANGSWORD. HE WAS YOUR GREAT-GREAT-GRANDFATHER, THE MAN WHO RAISED Dravenhurst TO AN EARLDOM. IT WAS IN THAT OLD TIME, BEGAN GODFREY, WHEN MONARCHS CRIMSONED THEIR OWN SWORDS AND BORE THE SCARS OF THEIR OWN BATTLE WOUNDS. JAMES STEWART king of Scotland, stood on a jutting rock above the frith. The sea is no respecter of persons. The veering wind that whipped the surf sent its mist to sting the royal face. But a storm of another nature thundered in the voice of James, as he eyed a seaman grovelling at his feet. Is this the dog that refused to obey our order? "'Sire,' wailed the wretch, "'I cannot put my boat across the frith. The storm's rack's coming fast.' The sail is torn, the hulls a leak. And your coward heart would sink a galley, my lord of Erin. Run a spear through this scoundrel who calls himself a Scottish seaman. Force a jackal against a wall, and YOU will fight a lion. Go to by despair, the man retorted. If ye get the best o' an enemy, what matters it that starving wife and child weep WERE a dead father? Indignation seized the surrounding knights. A hundred swords were drawn but James V was a man of moods as changeable as the sea. Instead of added wrath, pity pierced the fury of his eyes. So, he said, and it is love of wife and child that makes a coward of a man. He paused, and grief softened that lean, strong-passioned steward face. The royal home was yet in mourning for two bonny princes, sons long hoped, long waited for, that died as fast as wee lips learned to list their father's name. "'It was the man in James, and not the king, that spoke. "'And have you then a son?' "'Ay, sire,' Hope was born of the kind note in the monarch's voice, Three sons, and one runs halfway down the hill to meet me as I come bearing my nets at night, "'and one clings to the skirts of my good wife, and one is wee but yet and sleeps upon her breast.' King James turned short about and looked over the sea. A moment so he stood— and then he said go to your home good man tell them their mute cry has saved you from a coward's grave and the royal voice sank low bid the wee ones pray that god may send the king a son again the face of james grew stern he gazed across the waters to the shore beyond the frith was narrow at this point for from the opposite shore the crags and cliffs of Ben Ender thrust themselves a good mile into the sea. Narrow the strait might be, but calm it seldom was. The wind puffed sharply, veering from north to east, and the scudding cloud-rack covered half the sky. On the shore across the frith a group of men waved torches. It was Argyle signaling for orders, and there was none that dared to put the leaking boat across the strait. A clank of armor broke the suspense, and a young knight dropped on his knees before the king. May it please you, sire, said a noble at the king's right hand, Sir Malcolm Gordon craves audience. The youth is of the blood of old Gordon fire the braes, as brave as he, and as gallantly desirous of serving your majesty. He is dubbed Langsword, and is the laird of yon little tower that perches there across the way, like a raven upon a rock. Sire the face of Langsword glowed with loyalty, and daring. The word, I cannot, is not said in the house of Gordon. Let the honor of bearing the message be mine. I shall swim the frith, my liege. Swim, cried the king, doubting his ears. Swim, where boat does not dare. Sire, I did it a year ago for pure sport, but not in the face of a coming storm. Nor did I swim then beneath the king's eye. But hark, noble Gordon, even now the surf booms along the rocks of Benender. Sir, I know where the sandy shallows lie, and at worst I can die but once for you, my liege. No kings ever played dice with the hearts and brains and souls of men, as did the Stuart line, and now James smiled. Well was his pride pleased by this youth's devotion, almost adoration, and, when he spoke, "'scarcely could praise have been couched more cunningly. "'My lord of Gordon, your loyalty deserves our confidence. "'You shall know what message it is that you bear and why.' "'The king paused, and those who stood about his majesty "'stepped off perhaps a dozen paces. "'Russell has proved himself a thrice-compounded villain and traitor. "'His castle is a very nest for the hatching of border plots, "'raids, and burnings. "'Bid Argyle march on Russell.' Raise your own clan and assist. Success attend your valour, noble Gordon. If you win the day, we pledge that you shall be belted earl. Langsor kissed the royal hand and strove swiftly down to the beach. Unbuckling his heavy armor, he cast it on the sand. Then, ready for the plunge, he stepped out on a rock, paused, and dropped on his knee. And with him knelt those beside the waves, and James of Scotland with his lords on the cliff. The langsword's prayer was brief. "Saint Mary, grant me long wind and strong blood, if I set foot on yonder shore, I vow a silver shrine to deck thy chapel in the wood." King James answered, "Amen." Then Langsword stood, hands pointed for the dive, watching for the outgoing of a wave, the tallest knight in the highlands, lean with knotty muscles which rose and fell like those that move under a tiger's hide. A seagull flew across the face of the racing rack, and screamed the wild defiance of the storm. "'Godspeed!' called the voices from the shore. "'St. Mary for King James!' the Langsword cried, and plunged into the sea. Like a shaft of white light, the body cleft air and water, and was gone. A wave came trembling in, growling, shaking of fleecy mane. The head of the swimmer rose, a crest reared above him, broke, "'crashed over him, carried him back a spear's length. "'He sank. "'Those on the cliff and those on the shore leaned, gasping. "'He rose. "'The long white line of foam was between the swimmer and the shore. "'Ho, oh, Scott, well swum,' called James, "'by Mary's virgin soul. "'I swear to deck that shrine with blood-red rubies.' "'Thunder' muttered along Ben Ender. Flashes of lightning played on the cloud like lancers, tilting before a battle. The swimmer had gained 3 bowshot space against the sea. His head was a dodging speck, and the king dared not rest his eyes lest he lose sight of it. The storm broke, rain swirling to the mad onslaught of the wind. The frith rose and sank in white, roaring heights and bellowing caverns. The lightning shot its jagged bolts from sky to ocean, and the swimmer? The tempest had swallowed him. James Stuart stirred the cliff. Sometimes he prayed aloud, and sometimes cursed himself, or any that dared venture within earshot of the royal wrath. An hour passed. The storm drew back among the hills, ravaged, glutted, exhausted, muttering. This day was lost the noblest knight that ever risked life for Scottish king. So said James Stuart, his face gloomy as the solemn frith below but Aaron, peering through the mist, gave a sudden pluck at the royal sleeve. Ho, my liege, a light on Ben Ender. The Argyle signals. Two to right, three to left. They have the message. Holy God, Langsword has crossed the frith. Godfrey paused, for Gordon stood with his right hand clenched as if it held a sword. He drew his breath through parted lips, and his eyes were like a war eagle's. Aye, cried Godfrey, Your young lordship is a fine, keen splinter of old Langsword's steel. But the boy was not pleased with the compliment, or with anything that delayed the tale, for he broke in. And Langsword raised the clan, joined Argyle, and then? Like a good knight and true, he set out after Russell, chased him well up into the morasses beyond Ben Ender. The lowlander fled north towards the laird of the isles. Langsword harried the Russell lands and followed. With Argyle, he crept upon Russell in the wilds round Strathbogie and caught him in an act of treason. He was pledging to lure King James to his castle and let the Islemen capture the royal person. All this Bluff Howe of England was paying for. As your lordship knows, English kings have ever tried to put Scotland in their hunting bag. Russell was hanged, drawn, and quartered as a traitor should be, and Langsor was given all Russell's forfeited lands. Made an earl, and became a trusted counsellor of good King James. In truth, the plunge of Langsword into the frith was a leap into the high sea of royal favour. Good! cried Gordon. End of chapter four.